0: Lord. Thank you so much for all coming here to listen and to study together the book of Revelation. And as we are gathered here together, let us bow down our head to this mighty God whom we serve. Let us call him to come into this place because he is the one who teaches us. He is the one who gives us his wisdom and his knowledge. And when he fills us with his wisdom and knowledge, we are able to understand every word that the Bible is teaching us, the book of Revelation is teaching us, and so we shall all bow down our heads and submit our day to Him, Amas, this hour that we are spending to learn His Word. We begin by putting the sign of the cross, name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. Our Father, we thank you and praise you God for this time that you have blessed us with, a time of refreshing, a time to learn a time to sit down and understand the great mysteries that are written in this beautiful book of Revelation. Thank you, Master, that you have opened our eyes, our spiritual eyes, so that we are able to understand every word that is spoken today, that is taught today, and we are understanding it, oh Master, and it is getting Deep into our mind, into every being of us, a master, and everything that we learn today, O Master, we shall put it into action, O God. Thank you, Jesus, that you make this teaching so very easy to understand. And you give us the gift of knowledge and wisdom that are required to make this teaching very beautiful for us o master and thank you o god that the angels are gathered in this place mama mary is in this place and this entire place is covered with the precious blood of jesus and we surrender every years into your hands o master every years who are listening right now and every year who's listening through the video o master that the years are anointed to hear the spoken word of god and for this we give you all the glory and all the honor in jesus mighty name we pray amen, amen. In the name of the father son holy spirit Praise the Lord. In the last session, we studied about the letter to the church of Ephesus, Smyrna, and Pergamum. As uh, I have been teaching from the book of Revelation, we read the chapter one is about the revelation of the revealed Christ, in which we say the whole book of Revelation is divided into three parts. The first part is all about Christ, of uh, how Jesus was revealed to John in the island of Patmos. And the second part is the letters that he has written to the seven churches. And the third part is the, end, the remaining book of, the book of Revelation, that is the remaining chapters. So we have chapter two and three, which are concerned with the letters which are written to the seven churches. And in the last session I spoke to you about the letter that was written to the church of Ephesus, Myrna, and Pergamum and basically ephesus is a loveless church smyrna was a persecuted church and pergamum was a compromised compromising church so today we'll read about the message to thyatira the church of thyatira and this is called as the corrupt church all these churches the way they are placed are all lying next to each other and along the postal route of a person who is going to go and deliver the letters. So they just lie next to each other. And so Titeria lies exactly between Pergamum and Sardis. It is a Macedonian colony and uh, it was founded by Alexander the Great. And uh, the first convert, the first convert from Europe was a woman by the name of Lydia. She is from this place Titeria. So Titeria is very famous for that. Now, some other famous women in the Bible that we know about, uh, apart from Mother Mary, Mary, you know, the Mary Magdalene and other uh, persons from the New Testament, there are many other women who have played a very vital role in the spread of the gospel. They are Phoebe, Dorcas, Junia, Tabitha, and so many more. So we shall start reading Revelation chapter two, verse eighteen, and to the church. And to the angel of the church in Titeria write, These are the words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and whose feet are like burnished bronze. Now, in every letter that he has written to the churches, he has introduced himself in a very different way. Like the first letter when he writes to Ephesus, he says, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his hands. When he is writing to Smyrna, he says, These are the words of the first and the last who was dead and who's come to life. When he writes to Pergamum, he says, These are the words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. So there is a particular reason why Jesus is introduced in a particular way into a particular church. So we'll get to know more about that. Here he's saying he's the son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire. When you light a fire, what happens? When you light a fire, what happens? It dispels the darkness. So whatever is in the vicinity of the light or where the fire, everything is brought to light. So whatever was hidden, it's brought to light. Now, when you think about a, a small fire that you can light with a matchstick, it can only light so much of a place. But when you think about God, and they say His eyes are like flames of fire, and when He is looking down, they can be nothing Kept hidden from him. There is nothing that any person can do in the you know the darkness of uh, his life or you know the deepest uh, part of the uh, ocean of where any place whether you say light does not penetrate. But even that is brought to light by the eyes of the Father. And that's why he uh, because this church was doing so many corrupt things. So Jesus wants to introduce and say that even whatever you're doing, you think that the whole world does not know, but I, I know it. It is brought to my light. And when he's talking about his uh, feet are like burnished bronze, burnished bronze is an indication of majesty. It's an indication of majesty. So we go to verse 19. I know your works, your love, faith, service, and patient endurance. I know that your last works are greater than the first. As with all the Letters that he's writing to the different churches, he always begins by commending them for something good that they have done. So he's very happy with this church of Titeria. He says that, you know, uh, you are so amazingly good. You are full of love. You have service for the people. And you are patiently enduring the the turmoils or tortures that the church is going through. And he is so happy with them. And he also says your last works are greater than your first. When he means by your last works are greater than your first. Means that their works or acts of love and charity to God. To the church. And to one another. Was more in Qu- quantity and greater in quality now than they started. That means when they started the church, they were walking in love, they were walking in service, they were also having patient endurance, but as the days pass by, is the basic nature that after some time, all these qualities go off. That's what happened to the church of Ephesus. They began with love, but towards the end there was no love. But this church is not like that. He says your greater works are much bigger bigger and better than what you are started with. So you are doing much better now than how you started and he is commending them for them. And, but there is one thing that he has against this particular church of Titeria. When we read in verse 20, he says I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet and is teaching and be willing my servants to practice fornication and to eat food sacrificed to idols. Now when he is uh, commending them, he is so, you know, so full of uh, speaking good about them. But when he is angry, he is really angry with them. He says because you are tolerating this woman Jezebel. Now what do you mean by the word Or by the name Jezebel, what comes to your mind? Jezebel was a heathen princess that King Ahab had married. Jezebel was a heathen princess and King Ahab had married. King Ahab is the king of Israel and he had married her. And she had brought her practices of worshipping idols. She was, uh, you know, there's to worship Baal, which is a foreign pagan god. And she had brought those worship of pagan god into her into the Israel and she was so powerful and she had so much of, uh, uh, you know, control on the king that she was able to convert the people who believed the true God to make them to worship the foreign God. So all these people and Israel was just not a small country. Israel was a big country and everybody in the world knew that this was a country that was for the true and living God. That they followed the true and living God. And imagine a woman, she has come into this country and she was able to completely change the people. And now instead of worshipping God, they were all worshipping Baal. So the same way he's saying in this church of Titeria, there are certain people in this church who are also tolerating. There are people who are teaching you false doctrine in the church. The people who are taking you away from the church. And instead of condemning them, instead of finding fault, you know, getting against them, telling that they are false. But the people in the church have become so, so lax. Everything is okay for them. They are tolerating them. So they have become now a corrupt church. And so God is extremely angry with people who tolerate Wrong things taking place in the church. Now you take the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church is the, you know, the most, um, the most beautiful church founded by God, God Himself, and this is the church which has uh, permeated into almost the entire nation and taken the gospel to the ends of the world. Like say, hundreds of years before, all of us were not Catholics. We were not Christians either. Nobody was, no one was Christian over here. This was basically a Hindu religion in uh, India. And But hundreds of years later we had some apostles who came down to India, they converted, and we became Christians. We became Christians but we practice certain traditions in our land. We are following certain customs and certain rituals in our land, and that tradition kind of entered into the church, which is good. Traditions are very good, because traditions are good, why? Because they are the ones which keep everyone together. They keep the family together. They keep the community together. They keep the church together. So traditions are required. But there's a very thin line between, you know, the truth and merging with the tradition. There's a very thin line. Like suppose we say we have so many beautiful churches all over India where, you know, you have miracles taking place. Where, you know, Mother Mary has appeared, infant Jesus baby Jesus has appeared and they are full of an anointing and miracles are taking place and that's so beautiful, they have to happen that's how God pressed the church wherever in a place where miracle takes place it's a normal human nature for people to just flock to that place they just want to see what's happening who is this God who's creating all these miracles I want to go and find out about this God I want to worship this God so miracles are absolutely necessary so that's why this. All these miracles are allowed to take place in all these uh, beautiful churches. But then have you gone to any of these churches, you will see that normally the people have the habit that when they go to the church, they tonsure their hair. They tonsure their hair, then they go for a dip into the sea and they come back and then they take a plate with, uh, you know, some coconuts and some flowers and everything and they go and offer in, offer as a sacrifice, uh, in front of the altar of God. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong. It's a tradition, nothing wrong. But if you're going with a concept that I am taking this, now and giving it to you, and you have to answer my prayer, it becomes wrong. It becomes absolutely wrong because you cannot twist God's arm. You cannot twist his arm saying, oh, okay, I'm walking on my knees. You have seen people walking on the knees? Yeah, they walk on the knees, the knees will be bleeding. They'll walk on the sand where the sand particles are very, you know, rough and they completely graze the knees. They are bleeding and they come, you know, to offer the sacrifice and you feel sad for them. If they're doing it out of love for God, absolutely fine. You can do anything. It's your love that is making you do it. But if you're doing it with a heart condition saying, okay, now I have done this, Lord, so you answer my petition. You answer my request. Now you have to give my, give me a job. You have to get my daughter or son married. You have to get them into a good school. That becomes wrong because the word of God clearly says, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. You cannot put God to test. Even when Jesus was tempted, he each temptation he answered by, you shall, the word of God says, you cannot put the Lord your God to the test. So we cannot put God to the test. This is where tradition can become something wrong. So what can we do about it? What, what do we normally do? We just tolerate it. We don't tell anything that it is wrong. We don't teach people anything. But that doesn't mean that we go on the rooftop and start screaming or shouting at those people. That's not what God has called us to do. He's not called us to condemn. He's not called us to judge either. What we are called to do is when you go to such places, you pray over there, say, Lord, open their spiritual eyes. All the people who are coming here... Lord open their spiritual eyes And if you know anyone personally You can always talk to them And bring them to the knowledge of the truth Tell them about God Don't tell them what things they are doing wrong You tell them who is God And how much he loves you And how you can be saved And what does God desire of you He does not desire your sacrifices He does not desire you to walk on your knees Whether you walk on your knees Or don't walk on your knees God loves you anyway You don't have to bleed For him to love you. You don't have to roll on the ground for him to love you. He just loves you because his nature is love. And he unconditionally loves you. He doesn't put a condition to. Okay you do this then I will love you. That is a human person. But God is not like that. So you need to teach the people. And when you do that. Then you are not participating. Like how Jezebel did. That's how this church became. A corrupt church. They just let this woman come in, they just let, it could be a woman, it could be a person with a wrong agenda or a prophetess or a, you know, uh, someone who's inside the church but does not uh, understand the doctrines of the church and is preaching a different religion, a religion which is not according to the word of God. And people are just listening to it and they are okay with it. They are okay with it. They are not rebelling against it. And this church becomes so... Corrupted. And he also says that uh, she calls herself a prophet and she's teaching and big willing, big willing my children. What does the meaning of big willing means? She is seducing my children and uh, uh, servants is my children to practice fornication and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I would like to teach a little on this. What do you mean to practice fornication? Now, what do you mean by fornication? Fornication is having pre-marital sex. It's mean it means having pre-marital sex it means getting into a relationship before marriage. And God is it's not does not just condemn it. He is so very angry with it. Now you see, this uh, society has got a lot of you know live-in relationship. People are it's okay with it. They just take a house, they take an apartment, they take anywhere, they just stay together. Okay, if you click, uh, very nice. If you don't work, you go your way, I go my way. You find somebody else, I'll find somebody else. This is totally apart from God's word. Because God brings two people together and that two people become one only under the covenant of a marriage. So if it is Marriage has not happened and they get into this kind of relationship. This is called as fornication and God abhors that. He hates it. And the second is food sacrifice to idols. Now, food sacrifice to idols is a, uh, you know, a very interesting uh, uh, topic because this is, we live in a country where we have Many religions, people following different kind of faiths. And we always get into, you know, situations where you do not know what to do. Maybe your you know, relatives are gone, your neighbors have gone, and they've gone to a temple, and they get some, you know, prasad from them, or they get laddus from them, or they get some food, and then they give it to, to eat, and you do not know what you're supposed to do. Should I eat? Should I throw? Will they take offense? What will they think about me? Will I, I'm putting my god down, or how can I eat a food sacrificed to idols? It's a very simple way to understand this is, you know, there is only one true God. In a uh, tri- uh, triune form. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. There is no other God. Anything that is made in wood, metal, the best of uh, uh, piece of metal, or whatever you can think of, it is not God. So even anything is given to it, nothing will happen because that is not God. There is only one God. Now second... If people who are with you, surrounding you are people who are walking in your faith level who are strong in the faith and a food is brought to you or something is served to you and you take it and you eat it and by your eating that their faith levels is not altered because they are in the same faith level as yours they know that this is just food where it went who it was offered to whom makes no difference because that is not God and it is just a food and this food is entering my body and it is going to go out. So it will not make any difference to anybody. So it's not a problem. You can eat like that. But suppose you are sitting in a company or a group of people where others are not in the same faith level as yours. Maybe they are just, you know, baby Christians. Maybe they just come into the faith. Or they do not know in depth about all this. And by your eating that, if their faith level goes down, then you are not supposed to take that food which is sacrificed to idols. Did you understand? Do you understand? It's clear. So there's nothing to worry. If you are strong in your faith, you know that there is only one God and that God is a true God. So rest everything, whether it is fruits or flowers or whether it is any other thing, and you're taking it, you're not giving any glory to that God, then nothing is going to go wrong. Nothing is going. You're not eating it to glorify their God. So it's not going to do any harm to you. But if you're taking, oh, this is a food that has been sacrificed To an idol, to someone like that. And you know, by my eating that, that idol is going to get, uh, you know, uh, going to be lifted up. Then that becomes absolutely wrong. Did you understand this? Did you understand? Yes. Thank you so much. And so we go to verse 21. And then God is so good. God is so good. This woman, Jezebel, has been such a cruel woman such a uh, barbaric woman she has gone and corrupted his own children and taken them away from God's own kingdom he has kept them apart for so many years, taking them, the whole world knows they are God's own children but this lady has gone, beguiled them you know, charmed them she has cheated them, taken them away but God does not want to give instant punishment he tells, I gave her time to repent I gave her time says I'm not okay she's done this mistake I'm going to you know give her the punishment instantly I gave her time to repent I gave her time to repent and that is such a beautiful thing that shows about the you know amazing nature of God of how much of love he has for each of us but what she does she refuses to repent of her of her fornication she refused to change God gave her time but she refused to change. And when she refused to change, then you will see of how the punishment will fall down on her. So we go to verse 22. Beware, I am throwing her on a bed, and those who commit adultery with her, I am throwing into great distress, unless they repent of her doings. So he's saying, I am throwing her on a bed, and those who commit adultery with her, I'm throwing her into grace, distress. Distress also means tribulation. Unless they repent of her doings. Now do you know how the Jezebel of the Old Testament met her death? She, King Ahab was dead. And now uh, King Jehu was the ruler of Israel. And uh, she is standing in her chamber. It's on the first floor. And from there she's looking down. She's said to be very beautifully dressed. Ornament, makeup. You know, she was looking, she would put on all the best uh, of the garments and the makeup and the jewelry that she had because the king was going to pass by and she's standing there and behind her are the three eunuchs. Eunuchs are normally there, they protect the queen and the princesses of the king. So there are three eunuchs there behind her and King Jehu is walking down that road and in in his chariot driven by horses. And she looks down and King Jehu looks up. And his eyes falls onto the three eunuchs who are standing at the back of the queen. And he'll ask the three eunuchs, are you with her or are you with me? And they reply by saying that we are with you. We are with you. With you means we are with the king. Because now uh, the queen uh, Jezebel was against king Jehu because he was responsible for killing her husband. So she was not in a, a good relationship with King Jehu. So these three units when uh, King Jehu asks them and they say we are with the king immediately he tells them that you push her down from the top floor. So these three units they push her down from the top floor and she comes falling down to her death or right down and the chariot passes over her and goes off so by the time king reaches his uh, you know his palace or something he gets the information that she's met a very brutal death and he says even she is a horrible woman or whatever she has done but she is the ex queen so we need to give her a decent burial so you please go back go back take her body and give it a decent burial. So by the time those people come back, say maybe some 20 minutes might have passed or maybe 30 minutes have passed, but in that 20-30 minutes, you know, packs of dogs come and just tear her entire body apart. Sometimes you have seen, you know, you must have seen National Geography Channel, how a lion sits down with with a prey and then you have many of them together and they sit on the prey and then they are Pulling all the limbs and meat and everything apart, but it takes time. Sometimes they sit over it for you know maybe a day or two also to completely you know eat up one particular buffalo or a, go, or a buffalo or something of a big size. And but here they say within 20 to 30 minutes, by the time those people have come back, there is only the skull, her skull. There's no flesh, no nothing left in the body. Only the bone, like of her skull and her palm and her feet were left. Everything else, the dogs had completely torn her, chewed her, and just left nothing. That was a punishment that was given to Queen Jezebel. This was punishment from God. God does not take the sin of, you know, fornication, of all these things that she was doing towards the church. He does not take it lightly. He is very, very, very angry. And when he is saying in this New Testament, in this book of Revelation, he says, I am throwing her on a bed. This bed does not mean a physical bed where we sleep. The bed that we go to sleep is not I am throwing her on a bed means he is going to throw her and into a sick bed where she will become completely sick with so many diseases that she will be bedridden. She will not be able to go out and do her evil things she's going to become so sick and he says those who commit adultery with her I'm throwing them into great distress distress or tribulation unless they repent of her doings and I will strike her children dead now you remember when you know King Potiphar was uh, Potiphar was it Potiphar of uh, of Egypt Potiphar jo- Potiphar, right? Yeah. Suddenly, I was confused. Okay, King Potiphar was uh, of uh, when the Moses goes to King Potiphar and says, "Let my people go." What does he do? He says, "I'm not going to let you go." So then, then the, you have the plagues will come one after the other, and one of the plagues was when he actually relented and let the people go was the when the firstborn of all the Egyptians family was killed. He killed all the. First male child, they were all killed And when they were all killed Then Pharaoh repented and said take your people and go But here what is he doing He is not only killing the firstborn. He says I will strike All the children dead That is the punishment that he is telling I am not only going to kill one of them I am not going to kill your first child But I am going to kill all the children Who are practicing Or who are involved in her evil deeds So anyone who is involved in the corrupt practices of the church, God very strongly is saying that if you are doing that, then this will befall you. And not only it will befall you, your children too will pay the price for your sins. And all the churches will know that I am the one who searches minds and hearts and I will give to each of you as your work deserves. So he says when this happens to you When you see that the punishment that comes to you It will be made public The whole world will come to know About what you are doing in your church It will not be an activity that is just restricted to your church It's only my church Only people in my society Or in my people who know about this church know about it He says no The whole world will get to know about your corrupt practices What you have done How you have corrupted the church of God That's why he started his Teaching by telling, I have got eyes like flames of fire, and that flames of fire can look through everything, and nothing can be hid. Everything will be brought to light in the same way. All the pra- corrupt practices will be brought to light. Now, even this Jezebel also, they have uh, another, uh, you know, different uh, thought process of explanation. They say the spirit of Jezebel is the spirit of a woman, the spirit of a women. So if it's a spirit of a woman means, then a woman has no authority to stand and teach the word of God. She cannot even come up and teach God's word. She has to sit and she has to listen if her husband is teaching or any other male member is teaching. She can't even ask questions when the word of God is taught. She can go back home and then talk to her husband. Basically meaning a woman had no rights. And this is all in the Bible. And Paul was teaching to a particular group of people and telling them that women have to cover their head. They cannot preach. They cannot teach. You have to be very sub, uh, sub you know, sub, uh, submitting to your husband and so many things. They are all biblical. And when I read this, I was quite taken aback. I was quite taken aback. Said Lord, if this is Your word and if Your word is saying I am not supposed to teach, then I will start stop, stop teaching today itself. Unless you give me clarity about what you are speaking through this. Is the spirit of Jezebel, you are saying, is it the spirit of a woman? Or you are talking about the nature of Jezebel. But if you are saying that the spirit of Jezebel is the spirit of a woman and a woman should not teach, then I will not do it from today. And I was very kind of, say, you know, upset about it. And literally, I said, Lord, this will be the end of it. Finished. If you do not give me any clarity about it. So I slept through that day and then the next morning and I was just reading the Bible and then I just understood. The Lord, it is you who gave me the anointing to preach. I'm not the one who could preach. I can't even stand in front of 10 people and talk. I can't stand because I would be shaking like a leaf. Even when I was doing a medical college, you know, we used to have presentations, like a group of 10-12 uh, uh, students and you are given a case and you have to go through the entire case, uh, go through the symptoms, take the entire diagnosis and then the, then the principal or the teacher will come for the department and then you present your case. So I used to do all the work. Very sincerely, others will be sitting and chatting or talking about something else. I would go. I, I didn't even know Kannada, so I would you know go find out about all the words, write down, present everything. But I wouldn't present it. I would do all the written work. And when it came to presenting it, to talking it, I would give it off to my friend or somebody else. You know, I had no guts to stand and talk in front of any people, even in the church. If they would give a, you know the first reading or second reading to do, but by the time I go up. And, you know, I would have, you know, in Shatabdi Express, let's like speed, I don't know which one goes faster. I would have been done and people wouldn't have known when she started and when she ended. I would just be in such speed, such fear, grip my being if someone would just tell that, you need to go and teach. So this was not my, it was not my basic anointing in life. But I remember in a session, you know, a long time back, it was Brother Johnson who was, you know, who pulled up me and my dad and pulled us up to the stage and he you know, gave. he says, I give my anointing of teaching which I have on you and release it on you know, on me and my dad, and my dad, uh, at that age, uh, probably you know, at 70 years of age, he started preaching the gospel, and now uh, practically every single day, through the week, he's teaching every single day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, he's teaching in some part of Nagarkoil, He goes to the churches, to the convents, and to the every day. I talk to him, Dad. So you are back. Where are you preaching? What topic you're teaching? That is all. He's teaching every day. And this is a man who 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 never preached the gospel. And in the same way. But I'm not doing like what my dad does. But the gift of teaching came to me. So I thought, this is a gifting from you. And Lord, you will not give anything that I'm not supposed to receive. If you have given it to me, that means then you want me to teach your word to the people. And you give everything good to your people. And I was so much in peace. And he said, what did God say? Only the men go preach the gospel to the ends of the world? Or he said everyone go. Everybody is called to go and preach the gospel to the ends of the world. Then he asked God, why did why is it mentioned in the Bible like this? He said that is given to a particular sect of people and those people were, you know, the one who were very dominant by nature, who had Jezebel-like character, who were dominating their husbands, the husbands had nothing to say, you know, they took over the role of a Man, Which is not given to them So Paul had to admonish those women He had to tell them Take the back seat It is get the household That has to be run by the man of the house Not by the women Women is not lower You stand beside the husband You you are co-partner with him But you never become the head So that's why the teaching Was given by Paul to a church to a group of community of people where the women were like that but this does not become a rule for all women in the world so the jezebel spirit over here does not mean by the spirit of a of of a woman it is more of a demonic spirit but here it is represented with jezebel because we have in the old testament a character of a woman who was so evil and it is easy to relate with a woman who was so evil there are many men who were evil throughout the book of the bible but the only one woman who say who has you know the the worst of the whole lot is jezebel the spirit of jezebel and that spirit of jezebel is seen now also you can see in many churches you can see in many homes where the mother overtakes the mother is the boss of the house the mother who who you know everything goes to the mother And many Catholic women are also like that. So God is speaking to each and every one of the women who are practicing this kind of, you know, uh, superiority or trying to dominate their husbands that God does not like it. He detests any woman dominating the house. Praise God. Many women will be angry with me, but that is the truth. And so I have to speak the truth. And the Lord says that, you know, so what that corrupt church is doing, that will come to the knowledge of the entire world. The whole world will come to knowledge of it and if the people who are in the church are refusing to repent, God is giving them a chance to repent. If they don't repent, they will meet such a a brutal death like how Jezebel got it. And now he says in verse 24, but to the rest of you and Titeria who do not hold this teaching who have not learned what some call the deep things of satan to you i say i do not lay on you any other burden so this means that there are some people in the church who are not corrupt there are some people who have been corrupted by this uh, demonic spirit but there are many in the church who are not corrupt who do not follow this false practices so god is telling uh, jesus is telling them that uh, i do not lay any more burden on you i am not putting any more pressure on you. You are going through trials, you're going through temptation, there are persecutions in coming your way in the church, but I'm not going to add any more burden onto you. And then one very beautiful uh, word he says about in the previous line is, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan. Now what do you mean by the deep things of Satan? What do you mean by the deep things of Satan? Anything about deep things, deep things of Satan, it's satanic uh, worshippers, satanic practices, and uh, we think that all these things don't happen. We come to church, we live our lives with uh, our jobs, our families. We go back home, we go to schools or colleges or workplaces, and then we are we are totally unaware of that there's a realm of people who are completely into. Satanic worship, and actually, you know, you know, in the U.S. and all abroad countries, people have satanic churches. They are, you know, it's uh, the children are given the choice. You pick your god. You pick your god. That's a church founded by. In by, by the you know the entire uh, the Bible, the U.S. Constitution is based on the Word of God, and this church, this country now has given the freedom to the people to choose. You want to do you want to worship Jesus or do you want to worship Satan? So Satan worship is common practice over there. People have satanic churches over there. People go and worship there. There they have the cross, you know, hung upside down. And they have, uh, they give uh, blood sacrifices. They do demonic practices in the body. They do fornication. They have every kind of sexual immorality over there. And I used to think this kind of uh, um, practice is more in those countries. Not in much in India, like satanic worship is not there much in India but I was so amazed and this is happening in the city of Bangalore, I'm not talking of some other part of India, this is happening in Bangalore so this demonic worship has also started here, in Chennai they've already opened a satanic church they've already opened a satanic church so very soon all these things will start erupting in large quantity and the entire church will get corrupted if people do not Stand up and take a Step against this They are going to corrupt the entire church These are the demonic spirits Jezebel is a demonic spirit These are demonic The deep things of Satan which are now coming open into public And the church is doing nothing about it We are doing nothing about it We don't even have knowledge about it Unless we have knowledge, how are we going to do anything about it? So what are we supposed to do? Are we going to take a yatra, you know, take some uh, flags and just go marching and say no satanic churches? No, that's not what we are called to do. I taught you in spiritual warfare, how do you fight a battle? We have to know our battles are not with flesh and blood. We have to fight these battles spiritually. So we are called to Go on a spiritual battle with all these demonic spirits. And the moment we do that, all these demonic forces will be, will be completely put to death. Because the God who is in us is far greater than any demonic spirit in the world. They are, the demonic spirits, you know, they are afraid of the name of Jesus. And so once we know our authority of who we are in Christ, it will be so easy to fight these spirits that are operating in this place. So we should know of the deep things of Satan. And if people are practicing or the churches are having this kind of rituals, you know, you just don't go and say, okay, let me just go see what they're doing. Let me just participate. Let me just have, you know, like, you know, something is forbidden. Let me go and touch it. Let me just see what they're doing. And nothing is going to happen to me. I'm a child of God. I'm protected by God. And then you walk into such a place. So you are inviting those uh, evil spirits into your life and then you are bringing them back. So you are not even allowed to step into such places. If you are aware that there is something like that, then it is your duty as a child of God to go on your knees and to pray and to break this spiritual control that these negative spirits have in that community. Are you understanding? So these are the deep things of Satan. It means everything to do with the Satan worship, with witchcraft, with sorcery, with you know, um, uh, you know, giving sacrifices, killing your children, uh, giving them as sacrifices, or so all these things come under these things, under the deep things of Satan. So all the deep things of Satan are related with what Jezebel is to do, and the Lord is telling to the other people, those who have, uh, uh, you know, not part of this wrongdoing, I will not give you any more burden but only hold fast to what you have until I come he says don't become like them you hold on to your goodness you hold on to your love you hold on to your service you hold on to your patient endurance these are the things that he commended them when he started the scripture that you know when he started this chapter that I you know I commend you on your on your love your faith your service and patient endurance he said you continue doing that until I come back when is he going to come back He's going to come back In the second coming of Jesus That is the rapture takes place When all those who believe in Christ Are taken up into heaven I'll be teaching that later on So till that time you hold on fast To all those things Don't get corrupted by this corrupt people In your church And he says to everyone who conquers And continues to do my work to the end He says now he gives his promise You have been good to me so I will do this. I will give authority over the nations to rule them with an iron rod, as when clay pots are shattered. So what is this? He's giving uh, the promise is giving to them. I will give authority over the nations means that we will be co-rulers with Christ. We will be like Christ is the King. We'll also be King along with Christ. We co-rule with Christ, and we'll have authority not over one nation. But we'll have authority over many nations. These are the people who have not done the wrong thing. They have continued staying on course, following the teachings of the word of God and doing what the word of God says for them. The promise is that, that I will give authority. You will be co-heir with me and we will rule many nations. And, but, and he's going to rule the people with a iron rod. He says he's going to come down heavily. He's going to come down strongly on those people who are not Following God's word, who are disobedient to His word, He is going to be ruling them not with a feather. He is going to be ruling them with a iron rod. Means He's going to be extremely strict. You know, some principles, they will hit you with a small stick. Some of them pinch you, you know, they pull you by this hand. Some of them take a nice big rod and they can also lash you. The, you, know, the, the, you know, they pass their punishment in different ways. So the one who gives you the maximum punishment, like, you know, you literally hate them because they, it pains, it hurts for you. They pull your hand and they give you in the knuckles, no? They don't... They hit you on the knuckles. <laughs> you know, for girls, you'll get nicely pulled. Your hair will be pulled. or ears will be twitched. And all these things. Or so you get a nice slap also on your face. But boys, sometimes they get nicely, nicely whacked, you know? Nicely whacked. Because they are a little more naughtier than girls. So, but here God says, I'm going to... I am going to judge them with an iron rod. So that's how he is going to be with them. And he says, "As when clay pots are shattered." So you know, you know how a potter makes a vessel. Once he's made a vessel, and suppose uh, you know, uh, there's a jerk or there's a movement or something, it loses and it falls down. It breaks into pieces. Now you gather all those pieces and you try and bring it back to the original shape. Whatever you do, you will see all the cracks. It's not possible to bring it back to its original glory you will see the cracks and you will see all the patterns in that cracks. So the same way the word of God is saying that if you are going to disobey me, I am going to come down to you with an iron rod and I will, you know, put you into pieces or into ruins. But I will completely destroy that nation. And the last verse he says, verse 28, even as I have received authority from my father to the one who conquers... I will also give the morning star. So what he's saying, the second promise, one he says that you will be authority with me over the nations, second he tells him the promise that I will give you the morning star. Now who is the morning star? So to know who is the morning star, let's go to Revelation chapter 22, verse 16. Revelation 22, verse 16. It is I, Jesus, who sent my angel to you with this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. So who's the bright morning star? It is Jesus himself. So he's, uh, the promise to the people of Titeria is that I'm giving you myself. When he says I'm giving you myself, means I'm going to give you eternal life. There will be no death for them. They will not face hell and damnation. They will receive the morning star, that is, they'll receive Jesus Himself. And the last word scripture is let anyone who has an ear listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. So all of you have ears, or someone has come, left the ear at home and come here? Or everybody bought your ear here and came? Why are you looking at You didn't bring your ears? They are with you or they're at home? Yeah, they are physically the ears are here, but they are open or closed depends upon you. Yes or not? Huh? Physically, yes, they're all present over here. So God is saying that everyone who has ears, please listen to what I'm speaking to the to the Church of Titeria. Amen? Amen. Abba Father, we thank you and praise you, God. Thank you, Jesus, for your faithfulness, O Master. Thank you, Jesus, that it is you who came and taught your word to your children, O Master. Thank you, Jesus, as we pray, as we close in prayer today, O Master, that this message that you gave to the Church of Titeria, O Master, A church that is a corrupt church and practiced so many evil things, O Master. Help us, O Lord, to be always conscious of what is taking place in our church and not tolerate any of the corrupt practices that are taking root in our church, O Master. Help us to stand as true witness to your God, to you, O Master. Help us to be true to you every moment of our life and not to be taken in by the Jezebel spirit, O Master. And your word, your promise is that that as we stand firm you give us to be co-heirs with you in the kingdom of heaven and you give us yourself a master that is the most beautiful gift of all that you give us you yourself a master and thank you jesus for this beautiful promise that you have given us and master as we end this day today your presence goes with us and it's you who gives us rest and we thank you abba father we thank you jesus we thank you holy spirit mama mary guardian angel and all angels in heaven for your presence over here our master and thank you for uh, making this teaching so easy to understand and for everything that has taken place today here we give you all the glory and all the honor in jesus name we pray Amen. amen